uh, find the uh, Old Testament book of Joel. Uh, you may have to use your index to find that. Don't be ashamed. Joel chapter 2 is when we'll, where we'll begin our reading this morning. And this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, embracing a fresh start. Embracing a fresh start. That's from Joel chapter 2. We'll begin to read verse number 21 this morning. I'll give you just a couple of more seconds. If you've got it, say amen. Let's stand. Well, that got part of you. Let's stand. All those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. In Joel chapter 2, begin to read in verse number 21. God says through the prophet Joel, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field. For the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be Full of weed, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God. and There is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your precious Holy Spirit would challenge hearts and lives today. God, I do pray if there's one here that's never truly, really, ever, God, surrendered their life to your Lordship, that God, they'll do that today. Pray if there's one in their midst, God, who stands in need of personal spiritual revival today. There's been a day in their life, God, where they've been uh, more closely related to you than they are today. I pray, Lord, they'll embrace that fresh new beginning that can only be found in Jesus Christ. God, I pray on this eve of a new year beginning, each of us will embrace the new opportunities with the prospects of what tomorrow holds and offers in you should you give us another day and should you give us another year god i pray if we find ourselves in a right relationship with you today and praise the lord for that lord we will hide these truths in our heart for your word says let him that stand take heed lest he should fall and in this next year should we find ourselves in a place god where you've had to get our attention or through just tragedy and hardship that comes you've gotten our attention because we're not where we need to be spiritually. I pray these truths that are found in this text will grip us and mark us and be a reality as we embrace a new beginning that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Uh, Joel was one of the minor prophets, but minor not in impact and minor not in uh, his uh, importance in the canon of Scripture. Uh, Joel served during the ministry of Joash, one of the southern kingdom's kings from late 9th century B.C. to early 
8th century um, B.C. Remember that when Israel was set free from Egypt, it's really symbolic spiritually of salvation that can only be found in Christ. And we just recently completed a study in the book of Joshua. Remember that the crossing over of the nation of Israel into the promised land is symbolic not of death, but it's symbolic of life, the abundant life one can have now in Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel had been called, uh, Exodus 19.6, to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was the twofold ministry of the nation of Israel. That's why God had led them out of Egypt. They were to be his, his representatives, his ambassadors. But in so doing, they were to be holy. God, can I just say, friend, didn't see that as legalistic. It was a demand that he gave and Christ gives to every disciple to be holy just as he is holy. But the nation of Israel, they had they'd failed to live up to that reality, to be a kingdom of priests and to be a holy people. And so God called and sent prophets to speak on his behalf. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the prophets were those lamps and lanterns that God used to shine forth the light of his word into the hearts and lives of his people, Israel. And Joel was one of the faithful, though Israel had, in the northern kingdom, southern kingdom, had many unfaithful false prophets. Joel was not one of those. He was one of those that was true uh, to God's will for and his calling upon his life. It was a tough ministry being a prophet um, because they were to deliver uh, for those who were living in sin a very unpopular message that the masses didn't want to hear and can I say, Paul said in the last days, many in the church would not want to hear, um, but still yet were called to be faithful, to present God's word, gun barrel straight. And God had sent just, a, had just sent into the, to the life of the southern kingdom a great tragedy. Um, it was a tragedy that had affected them agriculturally. It had decimated their agricultural system. It was a massive swarm of locusts. And as we read from our text, they were flying locusts, crawling locusts, consuming locusts, and chewing locusts. Anything and everything that they could eat that was green and could be consumed by beast or man was absolutely and utterly destroyed. And so the entire agricultural system of Judah had been decimated. And so this impacted the people's lives. There was tragedy, hardship had come into their lives. And so Joel faithfully begins to speak all that God gives him to share concerning this great tragedy in the life of the southern kingdom. And though tragedy had come, uh, Judah had the opportunity spiritually to embrace a fresh start. Uh, God's mission for them had not changed. His desire and what he could do in their lives and through their lives, it hadn't changed. But they were not positionally where they needed to be in order to be used by God. And so God had sent this tragedy to try to get their attention, to ring their bell, uh, to call them and to draw them into a right relationship. They needed a fresh start uh, that led to fresh growth, not only agriculturally, but more importantly, spiritually. I want you to notice three truths this morning about embracing on this last day of the year as we stand on the eve of a new year. Three truths about embracing a new beginning in God. Number one, God speaks through tragedy. You need to understand that. 
Um, we live in a day where there's so much emphasis on the love of God and the love of Christ. And thanks be to God that he did love a fallen world. But God is also holy, friend. And God is righteous. And God will judge. And God speaks through tragedy. Uh, look at chapter 1 of the book of Joel in verse number 1. Uh, where the Bible says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel the son of Pethuel. God has a message that he wants to share with the southern kingdom. Verse 2, he says, Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the land. It wasn't just for a few people. It was for all people. And so God had a message concerning the tragedy that had uh, crept in, uh, no pun intended, to the, nation, to the southern kingdom, and he wanted to share it with all people. Uh, verse number 2 says, uh, Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? This tragedy was not by chance. It wasn't a normal occurrence. It wasn't like, you know, wire worms that you battle in your potatoes or chintz bugs or aphids. This was, this was a national tragedy. Uh, this was something that could only be God sent that had happened. Nothing like this had ever happened in the nation of Israel. Uh, verse number four says uh, that what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. That means there was absolutely nothing left. The locust swarm devoured the entire agricultural system and turned life completely upside down. Inflation would have hit. Whatever food there was remaining, people had gouged the prices on. Whatever food people could get from outside areas and bring in. So there was, there was, this had impacted every person's life uh, in the southern kingdom. But look what verse number 6 has to say. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He's speaking of the locust, but also when he speaks about a nation, he's speaking about a warning of a greater tragedy that's going to come. God's trying to get their attention through hardship. And just as God spoke to Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt, and he started out low and began to turn up the heat with every single tragedy and sign that he sent until the death angel came. Because there's nothing worse than death. God's trying to get their attention to call them and draw them back into a right relationship with him. And that, tra that greater tragedy is the nation of Assyria. Uh, that stands at the door of the north and at one point will have the opportunity to move south. Um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, speak about the nation of Assyria, the capabilities, how they uh, treated other nations, the, the ordered discipline that they had. But look what verse number 11 of chapter 2 says. The Lord gives voice before his army. God can use whatever nation, whatever ruler he wants to, friend, to accomplish his desired will in the midst of his people. And so God was sending hardship. The hardship was an opportunity for those who walked with God. It was also, friend, to challenge each other about spiritual needs, to see how it affected the entire nation. It was an opportunity for the, the righteous remnant in Israel to stop before their neighbors and say, you know what? 
Maybe God's trying to get our attention. You know, we're not being the kingdom of priests that he called us to be. We're not a holy people anymore. Maybe God's trying to get our attention that we need to stop. But the pressure is this. Don't hear me this morning. For tragedy to become and hardship the new normal. That, well, that's just the way it is and the way it's going to be. And so some way we've got to find a way just to keep swimming in the midst of the tide rather than to stop and say, God, are you trying to get our attention? Friend, I can assure you that the United States of America is far from what our founding fathers desired for it to ever be. The church is not living up to what God called and saved the church to be. We've not seized the freedom that God gave us as Americans for the furtherance of the gospel. And 2023 has been a hard year for our, for our world, globally, nationally, locally. Individual people in our own community have dealt with different hardship. And listen, hardship is relative. Yeah, what's hard for you may not have been hard for me, but what's hard for me may not have been hard for you. But friend, hard's hard. And difficult is difficult. And tragedy is tragedy. And God speaks through tragedy to get our attention to cause us sometimes to stop and to self-evaluate. But I, I tried to imagine, you know, what would happen if, if a local swarm of locusts came to, to the United States today and began just to devour everything. You can already see we've got two groups. Uh, group A, um, they'd blame it on global warming. And then say, well, if there even was a God, you know, he couldn't have sent it. Uh, it's just, it's a clear response to gasoline engines and smog and global warming. But, you know, those of you that nod your head, don't nod too hard because group B, they would have said this is nothing more than an entomological hoax and that all the results of everything are really being blown completely out of proportion just to bring us under the dependence of pesticide companies. And very few people would have stopped and really said, you know what, it doesn't matter where it came from, how it came from, or what anybody's trying to do with the statistics of it. Hard's hard. And tragedy is tragedy. And whether God sent, it's certainly always this, God allowed. And God speaks through tragedy. And God's people should stop. You see, how you see hardship really depends on how you see God. I'm telling you, some Christians really believe that God would never send tragedy deliberately to his own people. But yet that's exactly what Joel is teaching through the ministry of the Holy Spirit here. He's sharing that God speaks through hardship. And maybe someone's here this morning, because I've heard it before, says, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, let's listen to the New Testament. Jesus in Luke chapter 13 says this. Uh, Luke records this before Christ spoke. There were present at that season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That is, there'd been a mass murder that had taken place. And people began to ask Jesus about this. Now listen, and Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll also likewise perish. 
Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell? Apparently there were people just, I don't know, going about their business, maybe eating lunch on lunch break, having coffee, sitting, talking. I don't know, but the Tower in Siloam fell, and it crushed a bunch of people. And it certainly made the news. And so it was a, it was a tragedy. And, and Jesus says, do you think that these people were greater sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, he says, but unless you repent, you'll also likewise perish. What was Jesus' message in response to these two national tragedies? Repentance where needed. Were, were these tragedies God sent? We don't know. But they were God-allowed. Every hardship, every difficulty that comes into our life, globally, nationally, locally, or personally, it's either God-sent to all or God-allowed. There's nothing that comes into our lives, friend, that ever surprises God, catches him off guard, or is beyond his control to stop if he wants to. And so the Bible teaches that, that God speaks through hardship, and the message that he speaks is this, repent. Repent. That was Christ's message in response to hardship. You repent. Repentance where needed. God's message. Look at chapter 2 of our text and in verse number 12 of the book of Joel. God says, now therefore says the who? I got part of you there. Let's look at verse number 12 of chapter 2. Now therefore says the... What's the next word? Turn. That's God's message in response to this agricultural disaster that has just decimated life in the southern kingdom. God says, my message to you through all of this is you need to turn. Why? Because they weren't being the kingdom of priests and they weren't a holy nation. Friend, your life is not your own. If you've been saved, say amen. You were bought with a price. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a purpose and he has a mission for you. And when you're not failing up to that, friend, it upsets God because it's sin. It's sin either in sins of commission or sins of omission. And God will not allow his children to sin successfully. And when we sin, sometimes God rings our bell through pressure, through challenge, through difficulty, through hardship, through tragedy. He speaks through tragedy, and the message is turn. We referenced this last week in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were in the garden. Everything was perfect. Sin came into the world because they chose to. And remember, they hid themselves because they realized that they were naked. They were trying to hide the shame of their sin by making aprons of fig leaves. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse number 9, God comes down to walk with Adam and Eve as he did, it seems, daily in the cool of the day. That's worship. Enjoying the presence of God. But now they can enjoy the presence of God. Because sin stands between them and God. They're hiding themselves. They're not a holy people now. And do you remember the question that God asked Adam? He said, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Well, God knew where he was. But Adam needed to think about it. You know, yeah, where am I? He was naked, hiding from an all-seeing, all-knowing God. How foolish is that? and tried to hide the shame of his sin by weaving fig leaves together. Human futility from the outset. He needed to really stop. Where am I? You know, as this new year begins, and we look back on all the challenges that have happened in our world globally, nationally, some locally, maybe even in your own life, 
it, it really behooves us, friends, this new year begins to stop and say, God, are you asking me that question today? Chad, where are you? Wayne, where are you? Rex, where are you? Where, where are you spiritually? Are you closer to me today than you were December 31st, 2022? Are you farther along in your walk, in your commitment? Where are you? Is repentance needed that we might be closely related to Christ so that he can use us more the way that he desires to? Where's repentance needed in my life? God speaks through tragedy. Second notice this morning from our text, God is serious about repentance. I realize, friend, that familiarity can cause certain words and things and situations just become so normal that we don't even really notice them. We don't even hit them. I know I've shared to exhaustion that I used to live by the railroad tracks in Udawa. When we first moved there, we heard the train all the time. So much so, I was like, why did we pick this house? It was the only one that was available at the time. There was such a shortage of housing. We'd lay there in bed. I was like, man, this is horrible. And then to beat all, the coyotes thought it was their great-grandmother, and they'd start howling when the train, I kid you not, just howling every time the train came by. Friend, I promise you, time came by year five before we moved out of that house, we hardly ever heard the train unless we were parked in front of the crossing. It just became so familiar that we never even heard it. And repentance is one of those words in the church here in the South we can become so familiar with, it really doesn't even have an effect on us anymore. And friend, when it doesn't have a literal effect, we've come to a bad place. Joel's teaching that God is serious about repentance. And that's what was needed in the life of the nation of Israel in the southern kingdom. Well, what is repentance? Well, it's turning from sin to God in its simplest form. That's what it is. From sin, but when you turn, it's who you turn toward. You turn to God. Uh, look at verse number 12 again of chapter 2, where God says, Now therefore, says, as, as a result of sharing that I sent the locusts, there's something greater than the locusts, a Syria that stands at the door to the north. You better get right. Now therefore, in response to all this truth, turn to me. Turn from sin to me, God says. Not to another idol, not to another experience, not to something else, but turn back to me. That's what spiritual repentance is, turning from sin to God. And it's going to be marked by three words. Concur, confess, and change. When one really repents, first off, they're going to concur with God. So God, your Holy Spirit's convicting me of this. Your word says this of my life. I agree. No, well, but. I knew a guy in the church one time, that, that's, that was my nickname for him, was Captain Wellbutt. Because all the times, well, but, well, but. He's always, well, but. Well, but now, it didn't matter what passage of Scripture you tried to share with him. He'd be like, well, but. Friend, I want to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, there is no rebuttal. If you're going to experience restoration to God, you won't experience it apart from repentance, and you'll not repent unless you first concur with God and say, God, that's me. When, when David had sinned, 
And he had kicked the can for so long. And friends, so long, can I share with you, that it had affected him physically. God's hand was heavy upon him. Day and night, he couldn't sleep. He was miserable. And the reason he was miserable is because he wouldn't repent. But when Nathan the prophet came and said, You're the man. You've done this. David had to accept that and say, I've done this. He agreed with God. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault. It wasn't, it wasn't global warming's fault. It wasn't the, the government's fault. It wasn't the liberals' fault. It wasn't the president's fault. It was his fault. He had chosen to do this. And friend, you and I have to do the same thing. We have to agree with God. We have to con concur that this is sin. And then we confess it. And say, God, I did this. Forgive me. And then in doing that, friend, it must yield change. It's not concurring with God about sin and confessing to sin while holding it with an ironclad grip. So I, I, I won't let it go. Remember that Jacob wrestled in Genesis chapter 32 with the Lord and he wouldn't submit himself and that Jesus in that pre-New Testament appearance of an angel said, let me go for the day breaks. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's, that's what you should hold on to. But real repentance doesn't take place, friend, when you, you keep the key to the box that you, that you hide your secret sin in. Real repentance is to concur, to confess, and for there to be real change in your life. In the book of Luke, chapter 3 and verse number 8, as John the Baptist begins his ministry, he preaches a one-word message. It's repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But in verse number 8, he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. That means when, when one really repents, you're going to grow some spiritual fruit that indicates that you're fully committed to Christ. There's going to be evidence. So repentance is marked by concurring, confessing, and, and change. It's marked by sincerity and brokenness. Look at verse number 12 of chapter 2. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Uh, first off, he says, with all your heart. That's every point of one's life, every part of one's life. There can't be any part of you, friend, that you don't resubmit. Or can I say, if you've never been saved, wholly submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, you can't begin to experience revival until you've first been vived. If you're here today and you've never turned and trusted Christ, you need to do that. You need to be spiritually, John 3, born again. But if you come to that place where you've drifted away, the Bible says, friend, with all your heart. You've got to be serious every part of your life. And it's going to be marked by spiritual disciplines, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And that weeping's not emotionalism, it's brokenness. I'm broken that it got to this place. I'm broken that I've offended the holiness of God and the one that bled and died for me. And with mourning, not just a, well, everything's okay, now let's get back to the way. No, there's, there's going to be some mourning in that. Just as if something has died, and it has. It's your, your testimony. But isn't this amazing? Verse number 13, he says there, there'll be an absence of emotionalism. Not emotion, but of emotionalism. 
It's, it's real. Rend your heart, not your garments. See, Israel was good at that. They knew how to play church. So they would rend their garments, and they would pull their clothes apart and make a big visual to-do to say, everybody, boy, he's really having a, you know, in, in our lives we say, boy, he's a sight. Look at, look at her, boy, she's, she's torn the edge of her dress. She's just all tore apart. She says, no, rather than do that, rend your heart. Be absolutely broken over where you are spiritually. And then in that verse 13, return to the Lord your God. That is, fully get back to a surrendered life to his lordship. Get back to where you were and then beyond it. Whatever it is that is separated, you get past it, turn away from it, and return to the Lord. For thanks God, thanks be to God, he is, look at verse number 13, he's gracious and merciful, extending grace to us that we don't deserve and mercy to us that we don't get what we do deserve. And that's judgment. He says, and because of that, the Lord, he will be slow to anger and of great kindness, and he will relent from doing harm. My friend, God is far more willing to forgive and restore than we are willing to receive. Aren't you glad for that? All who will turn to the Lord, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. If you're not where you need to be spiritually today, friend, all you have to do is repent. Be serious-minded about it. Have a serious heart. And the Bible says God will be merciful and, in, and he'll be gracious to you. You say, well, I'm going to get around to it at some point. Look, look at the importance God places upon repentance when needed he says so then blow the trumpet in zion verse 15 consecrate a fast call an assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders gather the children and nursing babes now friend the most important day in a woman's life outside of salvation is when she gets married if that's god's will for her she's planned for it she's got the book she's dreamed she's put pillowcases on her head when she was a little girl and spun around her bedroom like it was her veil. She's planning on this. Listen to what God says. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and let the bride go out from her dressing room. God says national repentance is needed. He says stop everything. Stop everything. My friend, if you need repentance today, I'm telling you there's nothing more important in your life, God says, than for you to get back into a right, committed fully surrendered relationship with him. He says, stop everything and turn back to the Lord. God says repentance is that important. And when we're that serious about it, as serious as God is about it, number three, God can and he will renew and restore. If you're glad for that, wake up and say amen. Aren't you glad for that? When we confess, when we repent wholly, the Bible promises God will renew and restore. Look what verse number 18 says God's going to do for these people who've been impacted agriculturally. But really it represents where they are spiritually. The Bible says in verse number 18, Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. That means where God had looked down in anger upon them. And my friend, God is angry about sin. 
God hates sin. We've so sterilized sin today and renamed sin that it doesn't even stick anymore. But friend, I want to remind you that everything that the Bible declares as sin, it's what nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. I'd say, friend, if God allowed his son to die for sin, he takes sin seriously. And we ought to take it seriously and not rename it and shave the edges off to make it more palatable for people today. And so he says, but when someone's serious about it, he says, I'll be zealous and I will pity my people. He says, I'm going I'm to be brokenhearted about where you are. Where God had been angry, when someone confesses, they repent, they concur, they confess, it yields change. God sees that, and now, friend, he has pity. And I'm thankful, friend, that God takes pity on me. When I repent and wants to see me into a right, restored relationship with him. It says The Bible says the Lord will answer. He'll, now, sin doesn't separate us from God. Remember, you need to write this verse down, Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, that is, if I allow sin to go unrepented, unconfessed, God won't hear my prayer. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God says, I will not hear you. You pray your lips fall off. But God's not going to hear you. Why? Because sin stands between you and God. But when you repent and you concur and you confess... The Bible says the Lord will answer, verse 19, and say to his people, I'm going to send now grain. So now we see God working in the life of his people. He's sending blessings. I will send you grain, new wine and oil. The needs that you have, God says, I'm going to make sure that you've got them. Why? Because you're in a right relationship with me and you're depending on me. You're living for me and you're depending upon me. He says, I'll send. Look at verse number 20. I will remove far from you the northern army. Friend, they in some way could deal with the locusts, but there was no way to deal with the Assyrian army apart from God. They couldn't do it. Only God could deal with the nation of Assyria. And so God says, I'll remove the, the northern army from you. That is, what God allowed to come into your life to get your attention, God can so remove if he so desires. He has power to be able to do that. And then look what the Bible says in verse number 21. Because he's done great things, into verse number 20, fear not, O land, be glad, and, what's the word? Rejoice. Psalm 51, 12, David's greatest desire was not that his testimony be reestablished or that the child might live or that all of the the things that he had happened would be reversed his greatest desire was that the joy of god's salvation would be restored to his life so god i've lost my joy friend i'm telling you the most miserable person you will ever meet it's not an infidel or a lost person it's a christian that's out of fellowship with god they're grumpy they're miserable can't be around them. Try everything in the world. They can turn over every new leaf they want to, but, friend, but nothing's going to change in their life until they get right with God and God restores the joy of his salvation. And only God can do that, friend, but he's willing 
to do that. Joy will be restored. And not only that, look what the Bible says in verse number 22. There'll be new spiritual growth that will take place. He said, Does not, do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up. That means there'll be new growth in your life. If you've had a better day, and you've lost that fellowship, and you really want to see that newness and that spiritual growth you once had in the Lord, turn, repent, friend. Resubmit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and God promises on the authority of His Word, friend, there'll be a better day in your life. There'll be spiritual growth that will begin to happen again. And that spiritual growth will produce fruit. Look at verse number 24. The threshing floors will be full of wheat. It means the fruit you produce, it's going to be beneficially productive. It's going to be a benefit to others. And the fruit that others produce is going to be a benefit to you. It's just your life's going to matter. It's going to be a life of influence, a life of impact, a life of blessing. And it's not because of you. Can I tell you this this morning, friend? It's in spite of you. God does it in spite of you. When you yield yourself to God, it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. And He'll do it through you. He can do it through any family. And He can do it through any church that wholly yields itself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He'll produce fruit. He'll be a blessing. And the Bible says in verse number 25, So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And though tragedy had come, God says you can get to a place to where you won't even know tragedy had been. I've got a book uh, my dad gave me several years ago uh, on the area that I grew up in. I know it's dear to Phyllis's heart, the area. It's uh, Fontana, North Carolina. And all my people grew up on a place called Hazel Creek on the north shore um, of, um, on my grandmother's side, on the north shore of the uh, Fontana Reservoir. And this book they began to detail all the uh, lumber barons that had moved in in the early 1900s and all the industry that had been there. Well, friend, if you go there now, it's the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. There's nothing but poplar and oak trees. You can see some brick in different places, a foundation. There's, there's the, the footing of where a church used to stand. You can see some rotting railroad ties, but it's almost as if nobody had ever live there, that somehow God had taken it back to the way it was before the first person had ever been there. Friend, I'm telling you, that's what happened in the southern kingdom. The land began to grow again. The green, what had been brown, began to turn green, and things began to spring up, and it was as if the locusts had never been there. And I'm telling you, when you fully resubmit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and God has judged you, He's brought you into a place of tragedy to try to ring your bell to get your attention, friend, He can bring you to a place that He can restore to you the years that the locusts have devoured it's this friend you can get your testimony back you can be spiritually used of God again people say there's no hope for America friend listen if God's still on the throne and the gospel still changes life there's hope for America say there's no hope for the church there's hope for the church if the church will just be the church there's hope God can renew and God can restore and worship will be restored look at verse number 26 you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied 
and what? Praise the name of the Lord your God. Isaiah 59, 2, sin had stood between God and Israel. Well, now sin's going to be dealt with. They're going to repent. They're going to concur, confess. There's going to be change. And now they can begin to enjoy the presence of God and praise his name. What was God's question to Adam? Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Well, I want you to imagine this morning that God's asking you that question. Say your name in your head and then say, where are you? Well, how will you answer God today? The southern kingdom, they were out of fellowship with God. That's where they were when God sent Joel to challenge them. They had the opportunity for a new beginning. Where are you spiritually? Have you ever really been born again because you confessed your sin, you turned from, and you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you've never done that, that's the need that you have. That's the need. Do you have an unsurrendered will today? You once surrendered it to Christ, but you've kind of taken back over your life. You've got some I will nots, I will nevers statements. I'd never... Can't be part of the vocabulary of a surrendered disciple. It's Lord, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you say, that's what I'll do. Do you have an unsurrendered will today? Maybe that's the need that's in your life. Maybe your life is gripped, though, by sins of either commission or omission. You've got a stronghold of sin that's built itself up in your life during this year. It's built itself up. You know, I've was reminded yesterday, had a little reminder, said, I've got to change my air filter. You might check that yourself. Got to change my air filter in my house. Do you know when I put it in, it was as clean as it could absolutely be? I mean clean. Took it right out of the package. It was factory new. I haven't looked at it. But I promise you, because I've changed them before, it's going to be absolutely, one of my wife's favorite words, disgusting. When I see it. Do you know that it didn't happen all at one time? There wasn't this big glob of dust that all of a sudden just made its way to the house in a sheet and then just sucked its way right through the little filter and, and onto the front. It didn't happen. Do you know how it happened? One speck at a time. And that's the way sin creeps up in your life, friend. One little sin at a time. If you don't deal with it, before you know it, your life is just like that air filter. You're no longer clean before God, but you're coated in sin. What do you need to do today? What's that word? You need to repent. You need to concur. You need to confess and say, Lord, change me and bring me back. Won't you embrace a new beginning as we begin this new year that can only be found in Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you need to be saved in the quietness of your heart, won't you right now cry out for salvation and surrender yourself to Christ's Lordship? Pray just like this. God, I understand my need. I sense my need. You have convicted me of my need. I need to be saved. I confess that I'm a sinner. I concur. That's me. And I confess my sin. Forgive me of it. I yield myself to you. 
I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I surrender my life to his lordship today. That's my desire. That's my confession. If that's yours, won't you make your way here to the front in just a minute? When they begin to sing, I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. Is your life marked today, friend, by sins of commission or sins of omission? Do you stand in need today of spiritual revival and renewal? Is God's message to you repent? And can I just share this, friend? It didn't have to get as bad as it got in the southern kingdom. Don't make God drive you to your knees through personal hardship and tragedy to get your attention. If the Spirit of God is calling you and drawing you to turn and repent from something today, you deal with God and you do it. Father, speak to your church. You know the needs that are represented in this place. And God, as we stand on the eve of a brand new year, should you give it to us, I pray you'll find us, God, a people who truly are your ambassadors and a people who are holy in all ways. Use us, God, in this next year for the upbuilding of your kingdom, not ours, because we don't have one. We're surrendered to yours and your lordship. Take us and use us. Do mighty things through us. God, speak to those that you're calling to repent today. Sins of commission, sins of omission. Someone that still stands in need of salvation. We pray your spirit. As you spoke through Joel, we pray your precious Holy Spirit will speak to them now. Call them and draw them. And we pray, God, you'll find us faithful in what you invite us to do today. Let's reverently stand our feet. Heads.